0: Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. So, we did 23 this morning of Matthew 23, and uh, we got all the way through that. Of course, there are a number of things that I can share with you uh, that I did not talk a a lot about in Matthew 23. One is that, you know, I actually, over on the side panel, I numbered the woes. So that there are actually eight woes, eight times he says woe in 27 through 33. He's talking about their woes and their serpents and the generation of vipers and how can you escape damnation and why is that? See, you have to realize that Israel was a government. Just like any other government all over the world, it was a government. But it wasn't exactly like every other government. There was some peculiar differences. They didn't have any taxes. And for hundreds of years, they had no king. And yet, they were a viable nation that bound people together with no cell phones, (laughs) no telephone system, not an extensive network of roads and commerce or anything like that. They had ways of getting around and stuff. But they had to keep an intimate relationship with people all over a vast area. And uh, they had had to be so intimate that if they were attacked in one area, people would come from miles away. They'd march days and days to get there to defend your village, your town, your harbor, your road. They would come to your defense. And they had to do that because there were marauding bands of thieves, 40 thieves, a 100 thieves, a 1,000 thieves that would come from other nations, and they could come in and just take what they wanted because you, there was only maybe 20 families in your village or maybe 50 families in your village. It, may, it might be 200 families in your village. But still, they were able to march armies across. Alexander was moving one of the largest armies in in the history of the world. All the way across these areas. And anybody who resisted could be easily defeated because he had so many people in his military. Yet he did not defeat Israel. Israel. Actually, when Israel came out, the story is that he knelt down before those those Levites who probably came from the Sanhedrin. At that time, hundreds of years later, they were so corrupt that half the Sanhedrin left. But the point I'm making is it was a government. It was a government of the people, for the people, and by the people. The people had to actually organize themselves in groups and be loyal to what is righteous and to those groups and to groups on the other side of the river on the other side of the nation, they had to come to their aid. This has been a story for thousands of years. Beowulf—that's the story of Beowulf. Somebody was attacking this village, and they went all the way across the what you know was the ocean at that time, which was probably from England to France, to defend that those people against that monster that was marauding through there and killing their people. Do you have those bonds? I don't think you have those bonds in your local churches. Yeah, you you could be having all kinds of trouble and almost nobody will come to your aid. You may not be able to pay your bills, you may like we talked this morning, a widow losing her house to taxation, to property tax, to sales tax, to uh, inheritance tax. And this happens every day and everybody sits in their church and that's too bad. Oh, we'll send a few bucks. Meanwhile, 90% of the social welfare in this country today is provided by men who exercise authority one over the other. 90 some percent of all, and I'm probably being generous, of the needs of the people, the poor people and the the disinherited, disenfranchised people of the nation are taken care of by men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. And Christ said it was not to be that way with us. How do you excuse that and still call yourself a Christian? And then when you know, if you read the book, Covenants of the Gods, just the first few chapters, you'll see that, wait a minute, because I apply for these benefits, I am snared. I am trapped. I have become merchandise. I have become a human resource. And now they can put grievous burdens upon me, heavy burdens, and grievous to be born. And they can take and take and take and take and take. And they should be able to do that. Because, You've eaten at their tables. You've requested, you've prayed for their benefits and for their benefaction. Well, this is what Christ is complaining about in Matthew 23. They they bind heavy burdens. How do they do that? They get you to apply. And now, if you're going to apply, somebody's got to keep a record of that applying. Somebody's got to write down, you applied. For benefits. So therefore now you have an obligation to pay in. And that obligation may not be a lot at first, but then it may grow over time. Wasn't probably a lot when Herod got people to sign up. But now that they were signed up, for generations now, now he could exact larger fees, larger taxes. And who is deciding that? The Sanhedrin. Putting these grievous burdens upon the people to be born. And Jesus says, no, it's not supposed to be that way. And of course, if you went with our study on Exodus, you know it's not that way. If you went on our study of all the prophets, it was not that way. As a matter of fact, when they strayed from that way of living by faith, open charity, free will offerings, they went into bondage. They were divided. They were conquered. Bad things happened, and Jesus is saying that we have to do it. Those guys who sit in the seat of Moses, and I mentioned scribes, and of course I, I, I talk briefly about the scribes in in the Old Testament. They were people who counted. I mean, the same word for scribe is is uh well, it's a Semitic. If i uh Resh. That's basically the word. And it's it's given strong numbers from fifty six thirteen to five oh eight or, or five six zero oh, eight. So there's quite a few, maybe it even goes back further than that, I can't remember, but uh anyway, uh you know it's translated scribe, it's translated book. It means uh, a missive document, a writing, a book. Uh, It can be, uh, it can mean numbering something. Of course, we see numerous times in the Bible where it says uh, somebody numbered somebody. There was a time that King David was going to number the people and he counted it a sin. And he decided not to do it. But then we see a, a word talking about Moses numbering the people. Well, why wasn't it a sin when Moses did it? Well, he did it in a different way. You see, the original scribes, they took a counting. I have to, you know, when you, when you go places with your kids, we had six kids, so we'd go to places, I counted to six thousands of times you know are they all here 4, he one two three four five six <laughs> yeah they're all here okay and that's I was taking an account of my children making sure I had them all and that's what an, that's what a scribe did he he made took an account of that he also a great deal of what Moses had written down was put to memory everybody wasn't carrying around a big huge library all the time. So there were scribes who would be, they could, they would have the book and they could relate what it says in the book. But who are they relating it to? To ten families, to the elders of ten families. Because they're going to have to look in the book when they have to adjudicate a matter. Because all those judgments of Moses are the precedent that they're going to look at when they're, you know, somebody dug a pit and somebody fell in it. Who's responsible? Who's responsible? Well, they look in there and they say, well, wait a minute. you Did you put a railing around the pit? Did you put a railing on your balcony? Did you take precautions so that people would not fall and get injured? You didn't take any precautions. You just dug this right along the trail? Well, then we can hold you responsible because you created a hazard and it caused damage. And they know that because it's in the judgment of Moses. It's not a law. Because it might be different. Well, yeah, I put a barricade around it, but then somebody came and tore it down. Or he he, stole, he he cut, you know, like we made picnic tables for the lake down below one time. And they were there for about a year, I think. And then somebody needed firewood, so they chainsawed the picnic tables up <laughs> and turned them into firewood. Well, I... You know, if our picnic tables were railings around the dock and somebody sawed them up and we didn't know they sawed them up, we took precautions, but somebody else, now they're responsible. And when you look at the judgments of Moses, you can say, oh, yeah, well, wait a minute, it's not a it's not a statute. They said, well, there was no railing. Well, we have evidence there was a railing and then somebody took it down. What if the guy who chainsawed up the railing got drunk and fell off the dock? If I'm responsible for that? (laughs) No. No. They weren't laws. The statutes of Moses aren't laws. He's not trying to rule over you by making all kinds of rules and laws and create burdens for you. He's telling you how to operate as a just and free society, which is why in Matthew 23... Jesus gets down to, it would have been better if you attended to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. Because it was a government of laws. But the laws were written by God, and they're supposed to be written in your heart. The judgments were written by Moses. The ten statements of the ten commandments were telling you the basic principles. And Jesus told you all those ten commandments are contained in the two commandments of loving God, who is the creator of life, a giver of life, a forgiver and giver. And to love your neighbor as yourself. All the other commandments, if you do those two, you will do the others. People say, oh, well, the law has been done away with. We don't have to do that. Does that mean you don't have to love your neighbor anymore? Does it mean you don't have to love God anymore? No, of course not. So, if we catch you coveting your neighbor's goods through men who exercise authority one over the other that you have made contracts with by signing up for their benefits, for their wages of unrighteousness, for their dainties, for their snare and their trap to eat at their table at the expense of your neighbor, we know you're not a Christian. Oh, you said, oh, well, you say, Lord, Lord, no. Yeah, you say it with your lips. But with every other part of your body, you are denying Christ. Because you're not taking care of your neighbor. You don't love your neighbor. You love your governments. Well, some of you don't even like your governments. But you love your benefits. And, and Jesus is saying, you know, you're, you're a generation of vipers. Why? Because vipers bite. And you bite. And your Corbin is a covetous practice and it makes the word of God to none effect. And so your prayers and your phylacteries, they don't mean anything. That God can't even hear them. Because you won't hear the cries of the widows and orphans that are robbed daily by your system of taxation. Now taxes aren't bad. But your system is full of leaven. And if you go read the side panel, there's, on the, on that page 23, you'll see articles to the leaven, articles to breaches, articles to garments. And you'll know why you don't have the wedding garments you're going to need. Okay, so we're going to get through 24. We're going to try to get all the way through it, and then we'll see if we can take any calls. The first heading is, Jesus foretells the destruction of the temple at Jerusalem. Or was it the temple at Jerusalem? Well, the temple was at Jerusalem. Well, that temple of Herod was at Jerusalem. But Jesus was the temple of the Holy Spirit. And he was also at Jerusalem. So what destruction is he going to talk about? Or maybe, this is the way allegories go, he's going to talk about both. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. Now they're outside, so they're looking at them from outside. And Jesus said unto them, See you not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here a stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. So the stone upon Another is actually, it says a stone upon a stone. And it's a particular word there that they, they, they put in the text that is stone. Does mean stone. It can, you know, in conjunction with other words, it can be a stumbling stone. But about 50 times it's translated just stone. And, and some people say it's a metaphor for Christ because it's not just a, a petre, a rock, a pebble. It's an actual stone, and usually a stone for building. And it's lithos, is is the word that you see in the text. And it actually says, lithos epi lithon, a stone upon a stone. But then it says, thrown down. And they have a peculiar word there that they translate into thrown down. Ketalu is the actual word that we see in the Greek. But in the Greek text, we're going to actually see a more complex word. Ketalithetai. That word is kind of a combination of litho. We see the word lithos inside this word of kata. And it... It supposedly means to dissolve. That's the the definition. Or separate, disunite, break down, subvert, overthrow. It can be a metaphor for overthrow something. Or render something useless or vain or for naught. Take away the success of something. Well, of course, we see that with the economic system. They, They want to go all digital. Meanwhile, the value of the dollars, whether it's digital or not, is dropping rapidly every day, robbing American people and and the people of the world of millions. Because it's happening in other countries as well, millions and millions of dollars is 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 robbing you of your savings as we speak. Daylight robbery, and nobody can do anything about it because your preachers and your pastors have not been preaching the gospel of the kingdom. They've been Preaching the gospel of the ear-tickling churches and the back-scratching synagogues and uh, make everybody feel good like they're, they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, but they're actually workers of iniquity because while on their Sabbaths or Sundays they pray to God, but the rest of the week they pray to the men who exercise authority to get their benefits and put grievous burdens upon their neighbors when they do so. So, this catalu actually appears a a number of times, but not in the form of katalu, but in the form that we see, it only uh, appears a few times in, in this text, and it has to do with somehow breaking up the stones, not just throwing them down, but dissolving them. Wreaking havoc on them. and of course, now the actual stone temple that was made out of dead stones, that would be taken apart when, it, when they burned it. The fires were so hot, hot that the gold and the gold and the you know the cloth and the and the gold relief and, and, and leaf that was on the decorations and stuff all melted. And it melted down in between the rocks. And so the Romans had to literally move the rocks to get at the gold. <laughs> and so wherever that gold seeped down through the rocks, they, they took stone off, to, uh, off of stone. But I don't believe that that's really what Jesus is talking about. Now, that's true. And he knew that that was going to happen. But he's trying to give you a deeper message. Because what the Pharisees had done is they had built their temple of stones upon stones. See, originally the temple was just a tabernacle sewed by all the people, put together by all the people. It wasn't stone upon stone. It wasn't a hierarchy. It was a system of voluntarily everybody doing their share to build this tabernacle. But really what they were building was a network of charity. Because all those sheep weren't just getting burned up, they were providing food for the needy of society when they fell on hard times. And this created loyalty in the people that, you know, that when I, you know, broke my leg and I couldn't work for almost a year, my family would have starved except for the Levites made sure because of the offerings of the people there were food on my table. And as soon as I could get back on my feet, I wanted to pay it back with my own offerings. And and they built a nation and they bound it together with that type of charity. You don't have that anymore. I I I don't need my neighbors. You don't need your neighbors. You may not even know who all your neighbors are. And and you're you're not going to be able to call upon them because they would think well why don't you just go to the government? It's got all the money. <laughs> That There was no welfare in early America. And that's what made America great. That's what ended slavery. That's what kept us safe from invasion. You don't have that anymore. You, you don't have a network of faith, hope, and charity. you got men who rule over you and can control almost every aspect of your life. In a blink of an eye, they could take every bit of your savings away. You think, well, I've got a bunch of stuff up in my cabin up in the woods. They can take that away, too. Just like Pharaoh came to take everything away from the Israelites. They can come and take everything away from you. But, of course, now, if you're really following Jesus, you're really doing what he's saying, he'll be there for you. But if you're not doing what he's saying, When you cry out, he may not hear you. You see the problem? Because almost nobody's doing what he's saying. We've had lots of people come and listen. And Jesus had lots of people that came and listened. But many of them fell away. And that's why he remarks to his apostles, You are the ones that stayed with me. And, And he was raising the dead. But then, if you... If you do that kind of thing, then people who believe you just believe by signs and wonders. They don't believe because they believe in love. They don't, they don't believe, they don't come together because they believe in taking care of one another. They don't even go to church to see what they can do for their neighbor. They usually go to church to see what their neighbor can do for them, or their pastor can do for them, make them feel good. I like that church, it makes me feel good. I love his sermons. It gives me quite a charge. And, you know, or maybe I love his sermons because my wife loves the servant and i got to keep the wife happy. But if you need anything, you don't go to church anymore. We used to in America. But we don't go to church anymore. Verse 3. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, The disciples came unto him privately. So there were other people around, but they came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Well, the word world there is the end of the age. It's not the end of the planet. It's the end of an age. You can think it means end of the planet, but no, it, it means end of an age. And, and he talks about the sign of thy coming, because he, talks of, he talked about coming back, going away and coming back. It doesn't say at the time of thy second coming, because we know that supposedly Jesus came to Paul, Somebody was seen marching in the clouds according to what we have of Josephus' writings above Jerusalem when it was destroyed. Now we know Jesus told Caiaphas that you shall see me coming upon the cloud. He said that specifically to Caiaphas who is dead. And we have his bone box. And we found two nails, spikes, that would have been used for crucifixion the type of spikes that would have been used for crucifixion in his bone box they're missing <laughs> but they were recorded and found at one time we don't know what happened to them. somebody's probably trying to get dna off of them or something but you what you want is the holy spirit not it'd be nice to have the dna of christ it'd be interesting <laughs> find out if there's some extra strands in there or something. But the important thing is that you had the Holy Spirit. But they want to know what would tell us that the end of this age is coming about. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that, thou, that no man deceive you. So we see that in Matthew 24 and verse 5. He says, Many shall come in my name, saying that I am Christ, and shall deceive many. So this is why he's telling them there at the beginning, that make sure that nobody deceives you. We see again in, in Mark thirteen six, for many shall come in my name, saying, "I am Christ." I am anointed is what that's saying, and shall deceive many, because they're not really anointed. They're the blind leading the blind. And, and Luke says in chapter twenty one, and he said, "Take heed." That ye be not deceived, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and the time draweth near. Go ye not therefore after them. Yet we know there's all kinds of people predicting the end of the world, or the end of something or other, and they're making all these predictions, and they got people to actually follow them, and then it ends up that they're wrong, and the people follow them still. <laughs> What is going on here? For many deceivers are entered into the world. And that world is constitutional order and system of government. Who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. In Second Peter chapter 2. But there were false prophets also amongst the people. Even as there shall be false teachers amongst you. Who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, like it's okay to covet your neighbors as long, goods as long as you do it through government. That's a damnable heresy. It's okay to put burdens on my neighbors so that I can get free bread. No, that's a damnable heresy. That's coveting your neighbors' goods, making your neighbor work to provide you with free stuff. And, and that's not just free bread. It's at all the benefits. A public school how can you justify if your neighbor this is the deal if your neighbor does not pay for your free public education you'll send men to his house to take it away even if he's just a widow even if you know that he, he was having a hard time you you're going to take his house away from him because you don't realize that the Bible is about government there's the government of God and there's the government of Nimrod There's all kinds of governments. You got the wrong one and you have need of repentance. So as he said, so we see that word again, damnable heresies privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. It may not seem swift. I mean, you started, well, you started back when you started taxing your neighbors so that you can have free education. Why didn't you just take donations? You had free land. There was land set aside for public education. That's what they did in early America. The the militia built the schools. And they got to know each other. And they got to depend on They knew who was reliable. They learned about each other by building all the schools together. They also built the roads together. They worked together to do that. They put out forest fires together. They built communities together. That's one of the things that's praised by Alexis Tocqueville in early America. They wanted to build a harbor. They wanted to build a canal. They wanted to build a road. They got together and they put up the money and they did it. They did not tax everybody on their street or in their city or in their state and say, if you don't pay... Into what we want to build, we're going to take your house away. We're going to take your property away. Now, I'm not saying it's not legal. I'm just saying it's not righteous. Christ said it wasn't righteous. Christ said that kind of stuff makes the word of God to none effect. But your blind guides say, "No, that's okay. That's okay. We can do that. We can cover our. We can drive our whole nation into poverty." We can curse our children with a debt. We won't have to pay it back. Our children will have to pay Of course, they'll be in bondage. They won't just pay 20% of their labor to the government. They'll pay 30, 40, 50% of their labor to the government. They'll never own anything. Well, I'll have to add, I don't think they'll be happy. You've cursed your children with your covetous practice. Of course, Peter said you would. And through covetous shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you. Those judgments now of a long time lingereth not and their damnation slumbereth not. You can read it yourself, Second Peter chapter 2. It's right there. And if you read it on Preparing You, you probably find links to other articles that will tell you the same thing. <laughs> so, we're up here looking at... Uh, so he's telling us that for many shall come in my name saying, I am the Christ, I am anointed and shall deceive many. That's already happened. That's not coming. That's already happened. You, the preachers that are in there who are not attending to the weightier matters, your they're not taking care of the widows and orphans, They're not taking care of the needy of your society. They're not teaching you to live by faith, hope, and charity. They're teaching you to go to the fathers of the earth, which we talked about in chapter 23. And then Jesus says, And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. The end is not yet. That's a different word for end. It's not the same that we saw up there in verse 3. For nations shall arise against nations. That's people shall arise against people. Kingdoms against kingdoms. That's governments against governments. And there shall be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. And of course, all those things were going on before the destruction of Jerusalem. But, what Christ is telling them is going to happen on many different levels and at many different times because it's the principles of creation. So there's going to be more earthquakes (laughs) in diverse places and more pestilence and more famines and more kingdoms against kingdoms. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Because they're telling you that you're not... All all the people that engage in that, they're not seeking the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And they would sweep us up in that. And even bring about our own deaths. And when I say our own deaths, I'm talking about those people who are actually doing what Christ said. Sacrificing themselves for what Christ said to sacrifice ourselves for. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all the nations for my name's sake. Now, that word afflicted is a little bit peculiar word. That's a word "thupsis," and it comes from the word flebo to press, like to press graves. So, afflicted, it means like to oppress, to press. But it's a metaphor for tribulations, afflictions, troubles, anguish, persecutions, burdens. So, it it is a word that can be just applying pressure. That they're going to just apply pressure. But that pressure becomes an affliction. And... Uh, But now if I go on here further in uh, verse 10. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall arise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. I'll read down to the end of this section and then we'll come back to that. But, he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. So, now what word is that end? Is it the same, one of the two that we've seen before? Endure to the end. See, Christ uses words like persevere and endure and, uh, and strive and seek. Because what's going to happen, is because of the practice of iniquity what's iniquity unrighteousness is iniquity you know if we look at the words for iniquity we can see it's also translated unrighteousness we talked about that this morning it can have to do with without law there's no law in your heart that you're not letting god write upon your heart and upon your mind the law so you don't you don't think in this in terms of justice And you think it's okay to take away from your neighbor so you can have free stuff. And that's iniquity. But because you create a whole system with these false prophets who deceive you into thinking that it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods, you become absolutely dependent upon those systems, those tables of welfare. And your love for your neighbor waxes cold. You don't know who your neighbor is. You don't know much about him. You don't know if you can count on him. You don't know if he's honorable. You don't know if he'll sacrifice himself. You don't know if he's a hard worker. Because you didn't build the school together. You just taxed everybody. And then built the school. You know the school down here in Paisley. Now it's, it's supported by taxes. Not entirely by taxes. It, it's gotten grants and lots of other things. Uh, it's a charter school. But when they first built it, they had teams of horses and a Fresno. Most of you are probably not old enough to know what a Fresno is. (laughs) Fresno is like a big scoop. And you pull it behind a horse's or a couple of horses. And it drags along the ground and you can adjust how it digs into the ground. It's like the front end of a front loader a bucket loader. But it's dragging behind you and you scoop up the dirt. And then because the, you're you're pulling it with horses, you keep scooping it up. And when it's full, then you tip it back slightly so that it doesn't get any more dirt in it. And then you take that dirt up to some place and you dump it. And, and you pop up the, the Fresno so that the dirt dumps out. Then your Fresno passes over it. You make a circle around and then you come back and you scrape the ground again. Well the basement underneath the public school down in Paisley, the town nearby us, that's how they dug the basement. With a team of horses dragging a Fresno. And I can guarantee you it was difficult because there's river rock that goes right through there. And so they would they would hit the river rock and then a bunch of guys at the pry bars would have to get that river rock up and then they would drag that off and then but that's there was no backhoe. That there was no big cats to dig, you know, or track hole to dig that out. They dug it out with a horse in Fresno. Somebody doing that, walking behind that horse, or they might have had a ride in Fresno. They did exist. But that's how they dug out the basement. But people worked together to do that. But now, they just taxed their neighbor to build the new school up in North Lake County. They just raise the taxes on everybody in that school district, and everybody had, and they liked the school. Now there was somebody donated the land; they didn't, they didn't take tax dollars to buy the land. Somebody donated the land so they get the project going. But in the old days, we would have done the whole thing from start to finish. We would be paying the teachers from start to finish. I can guarantee you'd have better teachers. I can guarantee you'd have better teachers. Teachers that were dedicated towards the idea of teaching your children. And you'd probably have better kids. But we don't do that anymore. We covet our neighbor's goods and we force our neighbor. And so the, uh, the love that we would have produced by doing that together, the camaraderie that we would have produced in our community... The loyalties that we would have produced in our community—they've waxed cold because we preferred to pray to men who exercise authority, and we were fine with coveting our neighbor's goods and even taking a bite out of our neighbor to have the free stuff that we wanted to have—the legal charity they wanted to have. I just shared on Facebook today. Stossel pointed out that. The war on the great society was a war on liberty. And of course, if you study Roman history, they knew that. The greatest destroyers of liberty are the givers of gifts, gratuities, and benefits. That if the people become accustomed to living at the expense of others and depending for their livelihood on the property of others, they will degenerate until they engage in systems... A force and violence to take away from their neighbor. To force the contributions of their neighbor. This will make the word of God to none effect, but everybody thinks that's okay. So the false they've listened to the false prophets. They followed the blind guides. They still sing in their churches. They still get a good feeling. And then I, I come along. I'm afraid I'm going to offend somebody. But I'll do it. But now it says in verse 14, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world. And it's not the word for constitutional order and system of government. It's not the word for age. But it's mane, which has to do with inhabited places. For a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. And so, there, there's another word in there. So, which one is that? That was the same one that we saw in verse 6. The other one was in verse 3. Different word. Now, they begin to talk about the abomination of desolation. So, everybody is certain forgot, certainly forgot about the idea that we're not to covet our neighbor's goods. We are to keep the commandments. We are not to take a bite out of one another. They've all let that all go. They're not attending to the weightier matters. They don't even have common law courts anymore. They have administrative courts, which is when you see the injustices out there in some of the court systems, like, you know, the the guy who did not kill George Floyd. He should not have gone to jail. It's very clear by the evidence that he didn't kill George Floyd. George Floyd killed himself. By an overdose of drugs. Nobody damaged his throat. Nobody crushed his windpipe. Nobody suffocated him. He wanted to lay down. He didn't want to, they wanted to put him in the car. When they couldn't put him in the car, he said, just let me lay down. And so they let him lay down. You can see that the weight of the man is not on the guy's neck. There was no bruising in the guy's neck. If you think you saw that, You're projecting your own truth into what you were looking at. And people did that. And and the juries were such cowards. They were afraid that if we don't find them guilty, we could be in trouble. Someday, one of those jurors will start to... Maybe they've already done it. I just haven't seen it. They will start to admit we were afraid. We couldn't let them go. So they convicted an innocent man to go to jail where he got stabbed over 20 times his heart stopped because they were afraid to let an innocent man go free because they were afraid of the rioters. They were afraid of the mob. When did that happen? When did we ever see that where an innocent man was punished? Well, that's Jesus Christ. Well, I don't want to make a make Christ out of the guy, but that's that's what they did. That's what they did. Just is sure, I mean, you can just look right at it. But they have no conscience. Their conscience is seared. They don't understand these things anymore. But this is why the abomination of desolation is going to come upon them. They're not going to get away with it. Nobody gets away with anything. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation. Spoken of by Daniel the prophet. Standing in the holy place. Whoso readeth let him understand. Now Matthew is writing this. He, he added that. That's why it's in parentheses. He's so readeth because nobody's reading it back then. <laughs> but uh Well, let's read on a little farther in verse 16. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let them, let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. So he's on the housetop. He's not supposed to go back into the house. Was he just jumping off the roof? What's the deal? (laughs) Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, in the cold times, neither on the Sabbath day. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be. So there was considerable tribulations that are going to be taking place. There are considerable tribulations that are going to be taking place that nobody has seen. I mean, in our history, from the beginning of the world, which, of course, is the constitutional order and system of government. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christ, again, repeating, false people saying they're anointed, that are not anointed, false prophets, people who tell you that this is what the Bible means, and they're lying. Or they just are blind and ignorant. And shall show great signs and wonders. They'll do all kinds of stuff. Build big huge cathedrals and big huge churches. 15,000 people will show up. Everybody will just praise and they'll sway back and forth. But they'll go home and covet their neighbor's goods. They'll go home and bite out of one another. They'll go home and rob widows and orphans. In so much that, if it were possible, they shall deceive even the very elect. but those of you who are beginning to see this, well, of course, we have to do this, we have to go the ways of righteousness, and people are not doing that so this this abomination, this desolation, which is has something to do you know we can go look at Daniel 9:27, Daniel 11:31, Daniel 12 uh verse 11 and you'll get some sort of reference what was going on at that time but basically what it's coming down to is this abomination of desolation is is covetous practices. It's this desire for benefits. Eliot's commentaries, the abomination of desolation, the word as they stand in Daniel 12.11, which I mentioned, uh, seem to refer to the desecration of the sanctuary by the mad attempt of Antiochus uh, Epiphanes, to stop the daily ministration, the daily sacrifice. But the daily sacrifice, again, if you understand that it was a government, you understand that the altars of clay and stone were sacrifices that were a part of a daily ministration to take care of the needy of society so that nobody needed to go to LBJ or FDR to get benefits from men who exercised authority because they had a system of charity that exercised love, which charity and love are the same words. But you don't have that in the world today. You have the Nimrod way. You don't have Christ's way. And the churches aren't teaching it because they're blind guides. And so you... You have stopped the daily sacrifice. Now, people are over there in Jerusalem and they want to build the temple and kill sheep and red cows. Nonsense. Absolute, utter nonsense. Total superstition. That's not what you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to have a daily ministration where you take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. That daily sacrifice of laying down your life for your fellow man would make you invincible. That was prevalent just a little bit in the Israeli army in the early days. And that is what made them invincible. And when they were about to face total economic collapse, you know, their leader rolled back social welfare. Not so much anymore. They, They put, you know, governors on it so that it would not be just free handouts everywhere. Guaranteed income everywhere. And it was just leaning a little bit in the direction of the kingdom and things got better. But they're going to need to repent all the way. Israel's going to need to repent. America's going to need to repent. Canada's going to need to repent. This is how you get the leaders you've got. It's because you have no daily ministration based on faith, hope, and charity. You, you have a daily ministration based on covetous practices. And we know, according to Colossians, that covetous practices are idolatry. So you know what that means, don't you? If Colossians is saying, "Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. Well, everybody wants benefits at the expense of their neighbor. That's covetousness. Therefore, that's idolatry. Ephesians 5.5 5, For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean, person no covetous man who is an idolater because covetous men are idolaters all covetous if you desire benefits at the expense of your neighbor you're an idolater that's that's what it's saying there' in Ephesians that's what it said in Colossians so all these people out there going to church saying they love Jesus they're actually idolaters if they're idolaters they're workers of iniquity For then must ye needs go out of the world. But now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator, a covetous, or an idolater. Those are all the same thing. Fornicator, they're going to the harlot church to make them feel good. And the harlot church is able to get all of its wealth and its, its prestige because it's got you going to the beast for your table, for your meat, for your daily ministration. It's got you going there for that daily ministration. So they've ceased the sacrifice in the temple of God through the living stones of God who are not stones piled one upon the other, but unhewn stones that gather together in in a council of friends to help take care of the needy of their society with the free will donations of those people who are actually following the ways of Christ. But if you're not following the ways of Christ, you won't have such altars of unhewn stone, living stones. You'll have altars of hewn stones that are fit together with mortar like brick baked at, or baked in an oven because and, and you will be devoured and you are devoured it's time for repent you're entangled again in the yoke of bondage there is no two ways about that you're you're back in the bondage of Egypt again there are grievous burdens coming on you, but you, you're, you're not willing to see it. Now, some of you feel it already, and maybe that pain will help you see what I'm talking about. Maybe, But ultimately, it's the Holy Spirit. You're not going to get this without the Holy Spirit opening up your eyes to see it. The modern church doesn't want to see it. They don't want to practice pure religion. If you say, well, now you... If you want to be a church established by Christ, you have to take care of all the social welfare of all the people in your congregation through faith, hope, and charity alone. That's what you have to do. That's practicing pure religion. Oh, you don't want to do that? You want to pray to the fathers of the earth, the men who exercise authority. You want to be an idolater and and be this abomination of desolation in place of a system of faith, open charity, you want to put a, a system of force and fear and fealty. You see, that's why destruction is coming upon you. And then he goes into a comments about, uh, believe not. Behold, I have told you before. Wherefore, if... They shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert. Go, not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers. Believeth it not. For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together.
1: Now that could mean
0: two different things, because that word carcass there can mean a dead body, wherever the dead body is, and the eagles could be vultures, just based on the language. The eagles will get, the vultures will gather where there is a dead body. But what about the Son of Man? And it, it uses this word that we see there for Lightning. It, that word doesn't always mean... It can mean lightning. But I can tell you this, lightning doesn't come out of the east. But when the sun comes up, the rays of light come from the east. And this is what they're describing, is that the, that the Son of Man comes like the morning. When the sun comes up, and, and things start getting light before you see the sun. And, you know, maybe you'll see some light on the mountaintops, and then uh, the the light of the sun will come down, and eventually when it gets down to where you're at, you'll see the light. And, and so, I, I really think that the lightning there is a misplaced translation or metaphor. So the carcasses could be where the body of Christ is. There are also the eagles, that we think of eagles as, you know, these great noble like the bald eagle and all this kind of stuff. And maybe it means that. But maybe it means that the vultures will gather with the dead people and eat them up. But you want to look for the light of the Son of Man. And, you know, I've started a page on the Son of Man because... He, he, Shows up so many times in the Bible. It's not always just in reference to Jesus Christ. So what does that Son of Man mean? Well, we're going to keep going through this Uh, at verse 29 because it talks about the coming of the Son of Man, but I won't get into details of it. But it's often not what people think. But in verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the Son be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. The powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And we won't see any light from the moon or the sun or the stars. Well, that could be cloud cover. But something serious. Remember, he said, tribulation like we've never seen before. Now, are we coming up on on the second coming? I don't know about numbers. It doesn't say second coming in the Bible, and I'm not going to fill that in. But we can definitely see that something's coming. And, uh, And I'm not going to get into all the details of that. I think it's more important to start listening to God so that God is writing upon your heart and upon your mind, and that you Whatever is coming, when it gets here, you are not found wanting, but you are found doing what the Father said, what Jesus told us to do, what the Holy Spirit is probably telling you to do now. But I can't make this happen for you. You have to gather together and start making it happen yourselves, because the kingdom of God is about organizing yourselves in the way of righteousness, And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in the heaven and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Preterus will tell you this already happened. It happened at the fall of Jerusalem. And that many people were gathered up and taken away from that destructive moment in time. And Caiaphas saw men standing in the clouds. The armies of uh, Titus saw men standing in the clouds. And that this all took place. And they say it's all done. It's all done away with. I I don't think so. I, I think it, it may have happened that way. I can't guarantee. I mean, I can read you the accounts of people who said they saw men standing in the clouds that date way back to that time. They may be accurate. They may not be accurate. Well, I know that Caiaphas was told directly by Jesus that he would see this. And we've seen Caiaphas's bone box, so Caiaphas is dead. He talks about men tarrying until I come. So that may have all taken place. But nowhere does it talk about a second coming. So therefore it doesn't... Again, these events happen over and over again because the law of God is already written down in creation itself. So if we're doing the same thing that the Pharisees were doing... The same thing that the Romans were doing with their free bread and circuses. And we're still engaging in covetous practices. You know, where people might have to pay 20% of their labor into the government. The same thing that happened back then is going to happen to us. And since we pay a lot more than 20% in, and I'm not against paying that in. If you owe it, pay it. What I'm against is that you're not seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You're not creating the alternative system. You're you're not really hearing the gospel is about a government of God, which takes unselfish people, not just people who want to get out of the system, but people who want to get into the system of Christ, into the ways of Christ. They don't want to be lawless. They want to live according to the law of God. And so he tells us, this is what we're going to have to do. And and that he talks about sending his angels. We're not going to get into that. And sounding a trumpet. We're not going to get into that. But if there was a trumpet at the fall of Jerusalem, and it says there was, and that... If there was, not in the Bible, because the Bible is supposedly written before that. Although, you can look at Revelations, it's not really clear. Revelations looks like it was, Revelation looks like it was written by more than one person. If you just look at the text. And that it was written more than one time. And people say, well, why didn't it? talk about the fall of Jerusalem. Well, maybe somebody, you know, the guy who wrote it may have still been alive at the fall of Jerusalem. And it may have been more than one guy who wrote it. We don't know. It's difficult to tell. I mean, people say it was John. But we can look at the epistles and we can look at the book of Revelation and there's something not the same guy. (laughs) Right? (laughs) So... And I'm not taking anything away from the Bible. I'm just not going to add extra conclusions to it. So anyway, we'll find out that. Maybe we'll all live long enough to find out together what that verse is all about. But now we're going to go into verse 32. 32, now learn a parable of the fig tree. When now we know one story of, of the tree that who had no fruit and all the leaves just withered away and they were gone because they weren't bearing any fruit. But this is a different lesson. Now learn the parable of the fig tree when his branches is yet tender and putteth forth leaves. You know that summer is nigh. So likewise, just likewise, ye when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Again, that sounds like the previous, this generation, or does he mean the generation that has seen all these things? Yet we saw all those things. (laughs) Back then, we're another generation, but the law is still the same. The, what you really need, want to do is be on the side of what Christ said to do. You don't, when he talks about generation here, you don't want to be a generation of vipers taking a bite out of one another. Early I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Verse 36. But of that day and, our, and hour knoweth no man. That day and hour knoweth no man. When all this is going to take place. Or has already taken place. Or going to take place again. Again, the principles of creation continue to play out time and time again. They talk about foreshadow of events and stuff like that. Yeah. And, and we're going to see where Matthew takes us right down that road. That nobody knows the day and the hour. No man knows. No, not the angels of heaven but my father only. Verse 37. But as the days of Noah were, so shall it also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Now again, I said it's very important to understand who the Son of Man is. And I've only just started a page to try to explain that. And it's not what most people think. They think, you know, Jesus was the Son of Man. Well, Ezekiel was the Son of Man. It's all over the Old Testament, son of man. So, who is the son of man? What is it really representing? We're all sons of Adam. I'm a son of a man. You're a son of a man if you're a son. It means something more. But he goes on and talking about they didn't know until that day. Most people didn't know. Somebody might know. No one knew. But most people will not know. But right now we're talking about this really basic idea of living by faith, hope, and charity, or force, fear, and fealty. Basic idea. This is the choice. But there is another choice. Eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, all the you know, wall-polished theologians who tell you, no, all you have to do is say the magic words and, you know, come to my church and tithe occasionally and, and you'll be saved. Accept Jesus into your heart as your personal Savior. You can keep on sinning. That's okay. You can listen to that. But you probably won't see much more beyond that. Or you can actually repent and start doing what Christ said. And then the whole world will start opening up to you. Then shall two be in the field, and one shall be taken, and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, and the one shall be taken, and the other left.
1: And of course we have whole,
0: you know, nobody left behind, and raptures, and piles of clothing left over because they're all taken up without their clothing. (laughs) You know, you can create all kinds of doctrine. Yeah, I can't tell you that's not true. But I can tell you that Jesus said if you love me you'll keep my commandments. That everything hinges on the basic laws of love. And if you're not loving one another you're not going to be raptured. You're not going to be taken away. You might be taken. You know uh, you know I I had a little cartoon up there that where it was uh I don't have it anymore, but uh that maybe the word was raptor and the one that is taken was eaten. <laughs> so one will be taken and one will be left. Because they're they're making these doctrines up. Meanwhile they're workers of iniquity. And they're destroying the nation, they're destroying the world, and they can't do anything about it. Verse 42, watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. We haven't been watching our houses have been devastated. We don't own our property, don't own our kids. We we have no control over what the government is doing, what banking is doing. Our money is worthless. It's just getting more and more worthless every day. We have no just weights and measures. We're absolutely dependent upon a system that doesn't really operate by love. Capitalism can operate by love or not. Because it doesn't bring a moral criteria. It brings the right to choose what to do with what you produce. And like I say, there's, there's distribution of wealth in the kingdom of God and there's distribution of wealth in the kingdoms of the world. But in the kingdom of the world, that distribution of wealth is by force. It's not by charity. And even though Bezos gives away a billion dollars and uh, the Facebook guy gives away a hundred million dollars to public schools. It all disappears. It all goes away. And and nothing changes. The kids are still being sexualized. The kids are still being uh, kept from knowing history. They're taught immoral behavior. And there's You know, you can homeschool your kids, but you can't save those kids. But if you were coming together, thousands of people in America, not millions, just thousands, were coming together, organizing in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, setting the table of the Lord, I tell you, the blessings would come. But you'll have to have faith. I can't give you faith. That comes from God. I can just talk about it. Who then... Verse 45. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household, to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you, that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. Where is his goods? Are you the faithful and wise servant? But, and if that evil servant shall say in his heart, my Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servant, and to eat and drink with drunken, the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him, and in an hour that he is not aware of, and shall cut him asunder, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So, it's, this is all part of that same common theme. It, the, the problem is simply, people don't know what is a worker of iniquity. What does that look like, to be a worker of iniquity? Well, it's to covet your neighbor's goods, to men who exercise authority, to the fathers of the earth, that diminish the capacity of the individual fathers in the family. And therefore, when the fathers in the family come together in congregations, are they coming together to take care of the needy of their society, or are they coming together to get their back scratched, and their head patted, and their ears tickled? What are they coming to do? In verse twelve, I talk about the the term iniquity is from the Greek word anomia, or anomios, meaning no law, or lawlessness, or even unrighteousness. And one one of the major doctrines that you have today is talking about that we're not under the law anymore. Well, what law? Well, we're not under the law of the Pharisees. Uh, I, I'm not a participant in that what they had, but. Is the law of God gone away? Can we now covet our neighbor's goods? Can, can can we now take a bite out of one another? Can we now kill one another? No. But you do that every day with the systems that you got. You know, the Greek term polis has to do with uh, a high number, multitudinous, plenteous. And, uh, You know, it appears a dozen times, but whenever you see such a word like polis, you have to ask yourself, are we talking about the cities of blood? And I have an article, there cities of blood. And those, I can see the people that are listening, uh, many of them already know what I'm talking about. But we need to send these messages out to other people. So, when they mention this word polis, it's a city. It's a civil authority. How does it operate? Does it operate like like uh, Abel or like Cain? Does it operate like Nimrod and Pharaoh or or the Pharisees and Herod? Does it operate like FDR and LBJ? Or you know like what was it? DeSantis said something about like if he was to pick a president, he wanted to be like. He said Calvin Coolidge. And and the, the news press came back with, Calvin Coolidge got us into the Depression. Are you kidding me? <laughs> you must have gone to public school. Calvin Coolidge warned you of the Depression. He said it was coming. He would, he, he would have been easily elected again if he ran for president. Everybody pretty much agrees to that. He wouldn't run for president. You know why? Because the people would not change their ways. He says what the people were doing, they were just buying stocks to be greedy. You know, the the stocks were going up. They could borrow money to buy the stocks, which made the stocks go up more because more people were trying to buy the money, buy the stocks, but they were buying it with borrowed money. And it was inflating stocks way beyond their value. People were getting rich, but they were going to be getting rich at other people's expense. And he says, this has got to stop. You can't do this. But people were driven by greed. And they drove it up. But of course, now the sin had already been committed long before they did that. The sin had been committed when the people said, well, we don't need just weights and measures. Let's have debt notes for our money. You know, so and, and we could take it back. What did you do before that, where you would think that that was a good idea? well you 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 started depending more and more on a central government, and more and more on you know public education. It still most people were were not going to public schools until you know half the people, more than half the people were not going to public education. And then many of the big colleges, they weren't public colleges. They were private. They were operated entirely by charity and uh, voluntary tuition. And it was working. But you guys got this other idea. Where did they come from? They came from one bad idea after another. And what you were doing when you started creating this idea, FDR was creating, turning the American polis into a city of blood where we would take a bite out of one another in order to have our benefits. Just like Cain, just like Nimrod, just like Pharaoh, just like the Pharisees. They were making the word of God to none effect. Now, he didn't do it all by himself. LBJ have articles on the page where you can go and read that. The more you learn these things and verse yourself in them, you can have discussions with other people and start telling them. All these pages of Matthew, anytime you see somebody on any kind of uh, social network group that mentions a particular verse in the Bible, we've already got articles covering that verse. You know, not everyone, but we're, we're working on it putting 40, 50, 60 hours a week into that, plus running out and doing the other things. And hopefully, you're out there sharing them. You know, like when John Stossel put that thing on Facebook about how charity is destroying the poor. Well, I shared that. I don't think i put links yet on that particular one. Sometimes I do it the first time. Sometimes I do it in the follow-up. But all of you should be doing that. Everybody should be sharing that. If you're worried about them knowing who you are, don't worry about that. But if you do, just get an anonymous account and share it. Get on all these places and share it. And let them have the opportunity of choosing To turn around and go the other way. Because the abomination of desolation is the covetous practices. The ending of a daily ministration based on charity and the beginning of a daily ministration based on force. And that's what we've done. And so we have brought in the damnable heresy. And it has made us incapable of dealing with the handwritten ordinances that are coming down upon us. We've made agreements with them. And the legal charity is eating away. It's rotting away. So we need to turn around and go the other way. Make sure you're on the network. And we'll announce uh, somehow. that I'm sure they're going to send out where those. Uh, you can listen to the Slover Ed Slover podcast. And maybe you can see the YouTube and, uh, hopefully we'll get to doing this more and more. Uh, but it will, God knows when we'll have the time. But, uh, I don't know how much time is left. The clock is ticking. We need to repent and start seeking the kingdom of God. No more excuses. No more people putting it off. Join the congregation physically as close to you as possible. And then start sending out and sharing information on a day. Every day, you'll make a choice. Do I send something here? Do I send something there? Don't hide your light under a bushel basket. Put it out there. Put it out there. People need to hear this message. It's simple. But we can show you how to do this. But you have to walk the walk. Until then... Peace on your house, and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church.